thank you for your word of instruction and your word of consolation. And how we rejoice that your word is taught throughout the ages. How Timothy was instructed by his grandmother and his mother. And how that faith lived in him. Father, as we come to your word, we rejoice to be a community devoted to your word. We thank you for how your word is taught in the home. We thank you, Lord, for the work of grandmothers and mothers alongside grandfathers and fathers in this task. And we do give you thanks for the motherhood you give, for the ways you work, in glorious, mysterious, and wonderful ways. Through the love of mothers, we pray, Lord, with gratitude for those you've given to this congregation. And we pray you sustain them. We pray, Lord, also for help and for the consolation of your word even this morning. As we know that there's much pain in childbearing. The pain of barrenness, of children desired, the pain of difficulties and exhaustion, the pain of a broken heart and a wayward child. Father, the pain of loss. And we pray, Lord, you will help all of your people on this day as we come to your word to find our strength and to find our help in the name of the Lord. Write your word upon our hearts and teach it to us that we might love to eat of Jesus Christ, the bread of life. In whose name we pray, Amen. First Thessalonians chapter one. I'd like to read that first chapter. It's short, and then read up to verse thirteen in the second chapter. God's word. First Thessalonians one verse one. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, But also in every place, your faith toward God has gone out, so that we do not need to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come." For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain, but even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts." For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, 
Just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children, so affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil, for laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, we preach to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe, as you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. And there we end the scripture reading. If you would take out the Forms and Prayers book, Before you, and turn to page 275, we will read this article from our confession. Page 275, we're looking at article 17, God's use of means in regeneration, or causing dead sinners to be born again. We're in this third section of the canons, the third and fourth chapter concerning total depravity and irresistible grace or effectual grace. And now we're up to the last article, Article 17 on page 275. And I'll read what we confess there. We confess, just as the almighty work of God, by which he brings forth and sustains our natural life, does not rule out but requires the use of means by which God, according to his infinite wisdom and goodness, has wished to exercise his power, So also, the aforementioned supernatural work of God by which he regenerates us in no way rules out or cancels the use of the gospel, which God in his great wisdom has appointed to be be the seed of regeneration and the food of the soul. For this reason, the apostles and the teachers who followed them taught the people in a godly manner about this grace of God to give him the glory and to humble all pride, and yet did not neglect, meanwhile, to keep the people, by means of the holy admonitions of the gospel, under the administration of the word, the sacraments, and discipline. So even today, it's out of the question that the teachers or those taught in the church should presume to test God by separating what he in his good pleasure has wished to be closely joined together. For grace is bestowed through admonitions, and the more readily we perform our duty, the more lustrous the benefit of God working in us usually is, and the better his work advances. To him alone, both for the means and for their saving fruit and effectiveness, all glory is owed forever. Amen. Well, congregation of Christ, I speak this morning not of mean mothers, but of something that sounds close to that, of means and mothers, or mothers and means, or mothers who mean to use means to mother, 
because they're good mothers and not mean mothers, if you know what I mean. It's actually quite simple, isn't it? Think of the things you remember your mom saying, perhaps, eat your vegetables, or, or you need to go to bed now, you need your sleep, or be careful by the street, or if you're going outside, put your jacket on. All of those are evidences that mothering in love is a matter of means. The vegetables for health, the sleep for bodily growth and repair, the the carefulness by the streets, you don't get run over, all those kinds of things. So mothers are masters of means, and it's loving to use means. And in the church of Jesus Christ, we have ordinarily not mean mothers, but gracious and loving mothers, objects of of the Spirit's favor who who are being formed and fashioned to love in a godly way, to care about the offspring God has given, to, to shepherd them, to protect them, to provide for them. And every one of those mothers knows that means matter. If you have a mother who loves you, or you had such a mother, then you give thanks to God, right? Because it's not something we deserve. It's a great gift of the Heavenly Father. This morning, remember that the church is the mother of us all. It was said by a church father centuries ago that no one can have God as his father who will not have the church as his mother. Because it's in the womb of the church that new life is born. The dead spiritually come to life. And it's under the care of the church in the ministries Christ has established in her, the the preaching of the gospel, the administration of the sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper, and even under discipline that God protects his people, builds up his people, nourishes his people, and grows his people in grace. The Apostle Paul, even in our scripture reading here, he tells the Thessalonians, you know how, how we worked among you with the gospel. We, this commitment to us, the gospel of God, we, we administered to you, we preached and we exhorted and we encouraged and we warned and we consoled you. And you know even the tenor of our ministry, he says, we were like a mother cherishing her own children, a nursing mother. We did this tenderly. We did this in love. We did this because God loves you. This morning we consider how it is that the gospel is the pure milk of the word by which we grow. This morning we consider how it is that that Jesus Christ and all of his benefits come into our lives through the means God has appointed. All that God would give us, a forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Spirit and faith and sanctification and assurance of salvation, God ordinarily gives to us through means, most importantly, the preaching of the gospel and the sacraments. Let's, this morning, think about this. First of all, taking up the question, why is this worth considering? Let me try to convince you for a couple moments why it is that this is a topic that is actually urgently important for us. And then the second question, what do we learn from the example of the apostles? 
canons mention that, the example of the apostles. What do we learn from them? And then thirdly, how can we apply this to our lives? Well, first of all, why is this topic worth considering? And the answer is because Satan is sneaky and because our hearts are slippery. You see, we've been, we've been studying now for some weeks the sovereign grace of God, that he elected us and chose us before the creation of the world to make us his own. And how though we were dead in sin and we hated God and could not prepare even to receive God, much less to believe on him, we were dead in sin. God sovereignly came by the operation of a spirit and made us alive, quite apart from any help from us. But you see, Satan and our sinful nature then whisper in our ear, well, if God is so sovereign... You don't need to go to church today. God can do it in your life quite apart from the worship service. If God is all-powerful, it doesn't matter if you don't read your Bible or pray. Is God dependent upon you? Is God so weak that he depends on you? And so Satan tries to keep us from the ministry of the word. Now the Bible teaches us that Jesus Christ is a glorious savior, right? He is he is life, he is health. He is the bread of life. He who gave his flesh to be nailed to the cross to bear all of our sins and the full wrath of God against us in order to deliver us from all misery and all eternal destruction. And from our everlasting hunger, Jesus became to us the bread of life. But he himself has chosen the ordinary way that the bread gets distributed. You remember in the the miracles of the feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the 4,000, that Jesus, especially of the first one there, he, he tells the disciples who say, there's a hungry crowd, send them away, Jesus. Jesus says, no, you give them something to eat. And they said, yeah, right, it's impossible. And he says, what do you have? They said, we got a few loaves, a couple of fish. And then he, he has everyone sit down and he prays to the Father and he divides those up miraculously, making this little bit of food, food for thousands. And then what does he do? He gives it to the disciples to distribute. The miracle of of increasing the food supply is put in the hands of the disciples for them to distribute. You give them something to eat. They say it's impossible, and Christ says, here, I give you something that you may give to them. Now, you see, that's what the church is. Our hope is not in the church, that's for sure. Church did not die for us. The minister does not take away our sins. It's all of Jesus Christ. He is the Savior. But the saving Christ has deposited in his church the gospel to be administered through word and sacrament. And so, though God is omniscient and powerful and could do anything he wanted, he has chosen that the ordinary way of giving new life and nourishing that life is by the ministry of the gospel. Now we say, can't God do anything he wants? Can't he work apart from means? 
And the answer is, yes, he can. In fact, earlier in the canons, we confess that that children of believers who die in infancy, their parents need not have any doubt about their salvation. And you say, how can that be that an infant who's called to this world was never old enough even to make out one single syllable of the gospel can still be born again and regenerated and come into heaven? And the answer is, well, God can do that. Even apart from means, he can give saving faith and a new heart. But if you then ask, what is the ordinary thing God does? The answer is, he gives life through the preaching of the gospel, and he sustains that life through the preaching of the gospel, and through baptism, and the Lord's Supper, which are signs and seals upon that word. Now we get that, you see, with regard to to food, right? The the canons in our confession makes this comparison between our natural physical life and our spiritual life. And it says, as it is with the natural life, so with the spiritual. And with the natural, we know how it goes because if we get hungry and we say exaggeratedly, I'm starving, then we begin to plot out how we're going to get some food. And not a single one of us just sits down and says, you know, I don't need food. I'm just going to pray about this. The Spirit's going to inject nourishment into my bloodstream and I'll be fine. We don't do that, do we? Because we're quite convinced that the ordinary way God sustains these bodies is by food. By food. So we eat. And we eat. Can't God sustain us apart from food? He certainly can. Moses, for 40 days and 40 nights on Mount Sinai, he neither ate nor drank. Jesus in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, fasting the whole time. And they lived. But the ordinary way that God sustains us is by food. And so Christian mothers are gracious to go shopping, cook meals, and to call their children to the supper table and to see that they eat. But our confession reminds us As for the body, so for the soul. The ordinary way God sustains us is through the food of his word. And so we confess that that this supernatural work of God, by which he comes to a dead heart and gives it life, does not rule out or cancel the use of the gospel. Because God has appointed that gospel to be the seed of regeneration and food for the soul. And we have abundant testimony to that effect in the scriptures, don't we? We see it in 1 Thessalonians where where the apostle says in chapter 1, verse 5, that our gospel did not come to you in word only, but in power and in the Holy Spirit. And he says in verse 6, you received the word in much affliction. In fact, that word turned these idolaters from their idols to serve the living and true God. He says in chapter 2, verse 4, that we were entrusted with the gospel. And he says in verse 8, we imparted to you the gospel. Verse 9, we preached to you the gospel. And verse 13, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectively, effectively works in you. That's the testimony all throughout Scripture. That the Word does the work by the Spirit. James 1 verse 18, Of his own will he brought us forth by the Word of truth, that we might be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. 
He brought us forth. He gave us birth by the word. First Peter also says, verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 23, that you were born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Paul in Romans 10 says, how can they... How can they call on the one they haven't believed in? They have to call on Christ in order to be saved by Christ. But how can they call on the one they haven't believed in? But then how can they believe in the one they've not heard? And then how can they hear without someone preaching? So he says faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of Christ. But if all that's so clear, we'd all agree, right? God uses the gospel to save and to nourish. Then why are we sometimes inclined to be careless with the use of the means? And the answer is because Satan is in the business of tearing apart the things that God has joined together. Right? We should know that our enemy is into, into deconstruction. That is his business. That is, that, is, that is the company on his calling card. He tears apart what God has joined together. He tears apart marriages. He, he tears apart our marriage to God. And he tore apart our marriage with God by saying to Adam and Eve, though God had said, if you eat of the forbidden fruit, you will die, Satan said, you will not surely die. Eating of the fruit will not kill you. Satan tears apart the things God joins together. And now Satan says to you, you don't, you don't need the church. You don't need the ministry of the word. You don't need to read the scriptures. You don't need to partake of the sacraments. You don't need elders over you. And our proud nature says, that's right. I don't need that. Or we act wiser than God and say, well, you know, God says he's all-powerful. He can, if he wants to save me today, if he wants to nourish me today, then as I drive up the mountain, he's going to do it. And what is that but to tempt God? To refuse to eat our supper and say, you, you feed me if you want, God. I'm not going to take any food. You prove you can do it, Lord. No, that doesn't, doesn't glorify God. Satan saying to Jesus, jump off the pinnacle of the temple. It says his angels will catch you. No. What are the means God has appointed? The question is not what God can do. The question is what has God chosen to do? What has God committed himself to do? What is the ordinary thing God wants to do? What does God find pleasure in doing? Well, he's married together the means of the gospel preached with Jesus Christ. Our Reformed parents, they they saw this from God's word, and therefore they they, they realized that, that there's a road with a ditch on either side. On the one side of the ditch was the heir of the Roman Catholic Church, which when they said the church is the mother of us all, they meant... The church is your salvation. And they began to treat word and especially sacrament as if magical or ex opere operato, by the work worked. If you just eat the bread, if you just eat the wafer and you don't have any mortal sin in the way, it will do a work on you. And our parents said, no, no, no. The church is not the possessor of grace. Church can't guarantee this will work on somebody. You have to eat the bread in faith, believing the precious promises of the word. The spirit does the work. It's not the church's power. That's the ditch on the one side. But on the other side, we're Anabaptists and mystics 
who said, you don't need the church's ministry. You don't need elders and you don't need preachers. The Spirit is not bound to that. And the Reformers sought by God's word to steer a clear path and say, it's not the church that's my salvation, but it doesn't mean I can throw out the church. Jesus has been pleased to use the church for my good. And so... Why this topic is important to us is because Satan wants to invite us to a kind of fatalism. To say, what will be, will be. If God is so sovereign as you've been confessing in all these articles of the canons, then you don't have to worry about your soul. And you don't need to sit under preaching. And you don't need to read your Bible. And you don't need to wrestle in prayer. What will be, will be. God will save you if he wants to save you. But you see, mothers don't do that, do they? They say to their children, hey... You just run all over that street. I know there's cars, but if God wants to protect you, he's going to protect you. But we do that to our souls, don't we? I'm sure you've probably had the experience I have had of of bowing down in prayer for a little bit. But then when the mind wanders to just kind of get up and say, ah, God knows it all. He knows my wandering thoughts. He knows better than I do what my needs are. i got to get on to a busy day. God will take care of it. And we forget there's great benefit in rehearsing our needs before God and calling out to him and using the means of prayer. Satan loves to separate what God has joined together. But God says in Philippians 2, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. That's what Paul tells the Philippians. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Work out your salvation with urgency, with fear and trembling. Why? Because God's not sovereign? No, because God is sovereign. Because it's God who's at work in you. You see? God's sovereignty and our responsibility go hand in hand. So we must pay attention to this topic because Satan wants to lead us astray. But then secondly, this morning, what do we learn from the example of the apostles? The canons make an uh, important point in Article 17 that the apostles freely taught that God is sovereign in grace, but then they did everything they could to keep the saints under the ministry of the word. They taught of God's sovereign grace to give glory to God and to humble our pride. But they, by way of warnings and encouragements, did all they did to call God's people to feed on his word, to receive the gospel, to submit to the church's care. The apostle himself says in 1 Corinthians 15, His grace towards me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. We saw that recently. Paul was a faithful workman. The Apostle Paul, you know, he didn't didn't hang out in Jerusalem or in Antioch and say, you know, if God's going to save them Gentiles, he's going to save them. No, he, he went on arduous journeys. He endured shipwrecks and stonings and beatings and imprisonments in order to preach the gospel because he believed that through the preaching of the gospel, God was giving new life. We're ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us, Paul says, right? 2 Corinthians 5. 
And then once, once people got saved on Paul's missionary journeys, then did he say, hey, you're saved now? Once saved, always saved? See you in heaven. No, no. You read in the book of Acts how when the apostle Paul came to the end of his missionary journey, Acts 14, he retraced his steps going back through Lystra, Iconium, and Derbe, quote, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith. So the Apostle Paul engaged a strengthening ministry. And when the Apostle Paul saw his death on the horizon, was passing on the torch to the next generation, did he say to to Timothy, you know, God will take care. Don't worry. No, he, he said to Timothy that I'm charging you before God and the Lord Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. Be faithful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Isn't it amazing that our Lord Jesus, who has power to do anything he wishes to do, has chosen to commission apostles and through apostles to commission preachers and to give to his church this task of ministering his word, ministering a glorious word of a gracious king who laid down his life for sinners, powerful word, working by the Spirit, and to give to his church two visual aids, the water of baptism signifying and sealing the promise that Jesus washes of our sins and and the bread and wine pointing to the broken body of Christ, Dying for our sins and now food nourishing, food nourishing our souls. Yes, the flesh of Christ, the whole Christ, body and soul, God and man, the Savior who died for us is our nourishment now. We eat of him. So this morning we sit in the Spirit's workshop, don't we? And and the tools of the Spirit here are on full display, aren't they? The word preached, the sacraments administered, and then even church discipline, which keeps the Lord's Supper pure and holy. Even discipline is, is a tool of the Spirit to arouse the lethargic sinner who says, you know, I don't know. I, I'm not ready to give up my sin. No, discipline is to say, hey, if you don't turn back, then you're declared to be outside the kingdom. So that in hearing that declaration, you, you might wake up and say, I need to repent. These are the tools of the Spirit. Now, every house builder likes his tools. And if you say to a house builder, he says, I have to get my tools before I can come over and work on your house. Hey, you don't need your tools. You're the builder, aren't you? You're the builder. What are your tools? You're the builder. And he would look at you, right, as if you're crazy. We're not to say to Christ as spirit, you're the builder. You don't need the tools. He said, I, I use my tools. That's what I've decided to do. Tools worked powerfully among the Thessalonians. It turned them from idolaters to those who serve the living God and wait for his son from heaven. And all of this, you see, because as we confess in the previous article of the canons, Article 16, that God does not treat us as rocks or blocks of wood, but as humans. When God comes to a dead heart, 
He doesn't treat you like a robot and just reprogram you. He doesn't, when he finds you dead in your sin, just treat you like a puppet and attach strings and lifts you up. God works on us in such a way as to make alive our dead heart and to bend straight our perverted will and to enlighten our dark minds so that we can know God and believe on God and trust God and decide to serve God. And so it only makes sense that God, rather than just injecting nourishment into our bloodstream, should speak to us because he treats us as humans. He wants his word to come in our ears and into our brain and to be processed and to be believed on our heart and then with our will to decide to follow him. You see? So God uses means. That's the example of the apostles. But finally this morning, how can we apply this to our lives? How can we apply this to our lives? Well, these truths are deeply encouraging, right? I mean, who wouldn't be encouraged to go into a house and see a mother who, she's well organized, kids are clothed, house is somewhat orderly, there's food in the cupboards, She's making a meal for them. She doesn't just let them do their own thing. She teaches. She instructs. Only a fool would think that it's better to go next door where the house is pure chaos, yelling and screaming and kids half-dressed, and no food to be found, and to hear that mother say, Oh, I love my children. And say, you know what, I think you're right. You probably love your children more than she does. Oh, love is manifest in the use of means. So we should be encouraged. Wherever we see gospel preaching going on, then Jesus is saying, I love my church. Wherever we see sacraments administered in purity and truth, Jesus is saying, I love my church. Wherever we see elders engaged in, in visiting families and warning and encouraging people, then we should say, God be praised. He loves his church. And then we should seek an appreciation to the Lord to use these means that he in love lavishes upon us. The last lines of Article 17 of the Canon say, For grace is bestowed through admonitions, and the more readily we perform our duty, the more lustrous the benefit of God working in us usually is, and the better his work advances. The more I use the means, the more... He'll mean to me. That's what we can say to ourselves. The more I use the means, the more Christ will mean to me. Now, it's not just a a matter of mathematical calculations. That's just automatic. We don't want to go into that ditch. It's just automatic. If you sit through a sermon, you will automatically be blessed. If you eat the bread, you automatically receive grace. No. These things have to be received in faith. But the canons are right when it says that the more readily we perform our duty, which is to eat, 
the more lustrous the benefit of God working in us usually is, and the better his work advances. And so the Spirit says in 1 Peter chapter 2, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that you may by it grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Crave the milk. Hunger for it. Cry out for it. Feed on it. Don't leave your supper uneaten. We can be thankful to God for the Reformed heritage which has has valued the, the ministry of the word for, for churches where ministers, by way of the church order, are called to look upon their office not as being the chief executive officer administering a bunch of things, but to be ministers of the gospel. And our churches have required a trained ministry. Men go to seminary and learn how to work in the word. Our church order has set upon ministers a, a body of duties that are related to administering word and sacraments. And our church order, we have committed with the other hundred and some churches to hold two worship services every Sunday because it's believed that above all what God's people need is Christ. And Christ gives himself through the ministry. So the more I use the means, the more Christ will mean to me. I wonder how much more Jesus would mean to me today if I made better use of the means. Don't you ever think about that? At the end of one year, maybe. Maybe didn't do well reading our Bibles, and we think, boy, I, I might have been a lot closer to Jesus if I'd spent more time in his word. You ever think about that in terms of prayer? I wonder if I would have avoided that temptation had I been more prayerful, crying out for his help, his protection from Satan. You ever think about that in terms of worship services? I skipped one-third of the worship services this past week. Where might I be with the Lord? How much more I might love him? How much more he might appear satisfying to my soul had I fed on him more frequently? Well, we're not rocks and blocks and puppets and robots. So again, it's not just a matter of math. Even when it comes to the preaching of the word, we have to work at it, don't we? we how do we work at it? How do we work at hearing preaching? Well, we, we pray beforehand, Lord, open my heart. We pray for the preaching, Lord, help the preachers to preach in truth in a way that's helpful to us. The reading of scripture is preparatory for, for, for hearing preaching, Right? If we're in the Word, then we, we develop ears and understanding, which will assist us now to digest the preaching. It's a great thing that fathers and 
mothers do, isn't it, in the home, is they teach their children to listen to the Bible at at devotion time and to, to read the text and to begin to ask questions of the text. And they develop in their children a curiosity. So when the children come to worship service, though, though some children might come out of nowhere and they sit and they say, what is that guy talking about? I don't, I don't know what he's saying. I don't care what he's saying. As children are trained in the word at home, they begin to think, boy, we had that tough question. Now the pastor's preaching on that passage. I want to hear what that means. You see? And the sacraments, how to use them not superstitiously. But teaching our children to make much of their baptism. God put a mark on you. God spoke to you. God gave you promises. And to crave the pure milk of the word as we go to Sunday school and catechism classes and Bible studies. And to make good use of the means as we receive elders into our homes on family visits. And we, we don't dread it and say, this is such a inconvenience for me, but instead we say, thank you, Christ, that you loved me and that that you gave elders shepherds that care about me and and hold me accountable, and so I will speak honestly to them because I know that through this, Jesus, you minister to me. And then as we look at the world, we don't just sit here and say, well, you know, if Jesus wants to save them, he's going to save them. But we say, no, Christ has told us how he wants to save them, by the ministry of the word. So let's call forth young men to the ministry where God gives gifts. Let's encourage them. Let's pray for them. Let's support our seminaries who train them up. Let's send people out. Let's work ourselves in our neighborhood to be witnesses for Christ Jesus. Let us believe that, that through the teaching of the word, through the exhorting of the word, The Lord does a great work. And what a comfort also for mothers as we think of Timothy, a father who failed in the task apparently or who was not a believer, but a grandmother and a mother who taught Timothy the word from his youth for moms to know that their labor in the Lord is not in vain. God uses means. It's hidden. It's often invisible. God's operations are not laid out for our human eyes to see, but he's at work. People of God, beware of the scheme of Satan. To separate what God has joined together, beware of the human pride that would separate what God has joined together. The more we readily perform our duty, the more lustrous the benefit of God working in us usually is. And the better his work advances. To him alone, both for the means and for their saving fruit and effectiveness, all glory is owed forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this word of instruction and we thank you for the means of grace. Forgive us, O Lord, we have not used them well. Thank you for where we, by your grace, have used them. And thank you for how you've worked upon us and given us Jesus and his benefits through the ministry. God bless now, not just the preaching, but bless now the Lord's Supper to us also. In Jesus' name, amen. At this time we turn in the Forms and Prayers book to page 50 to the Lord's Supper form.
page 50, celebration of the Lord's Supper, short form number one.